Now, we are moving, this is of course the 29th day of December, 2013, so we are, we are rapidly moving towards the final few hours of this, of this year and about to enter into 2014. So what I'd like to do this morning is entitle our remarks today, uh, Getting Ready to Leave, Getting Ready to Leave. Now, I do know that some of you are getting ready to leave because you're getting ready to leave to go back to school, you're getting ready to leave to go back home, you're getting ready to leave to do a number of things. But also we are getting ready to leave this year, 2013. So we want to talk together this morning about getting ready to leave. What I'd like to ask you to do is open your Bible with me to Proverbs 4 and Verse number 23 is the verse that I want to focus on for a few moments this morning. Proverbs 4 and verse number 23. So if we had some parting words, if we had some words that we could share together, while some of you are getting ready to leave, all of us are getting ready to leave a certain year to enter into a new one, then these would be the words that I would like to share with you. Somehow we reserve our most important words for the parting words. What are we going to say when we part? When you all leave to go back to your pursuits, what are we going to say to each other? So we try to reserve some special comments that we'll share together. So I want to go back to the Proverbs and share this with you this morning. It says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me repeat that. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. That means watch over your spirit. That means be very diligent and careful and guard your spirit means the inner part of you. That means the part that is the real you. The part that is made in the image and likeness of God. Your spirit. Your soul. It differentiates between you and some of the lower animals is this idea of a spirit. In the image and likeness of God. Physically we're not like God, but the spirit. We have a spirit. And so Solomon writes these words, be watch over your heart, watch over your spirit with all diligence. In other words, the things that you care about the most, make this the number one on your list. And he gives the reason for doing so, and the reason is, from out of your spirit flow the springs or come the springs of life. Your thinking comes from your spirit. Your decisions come forth from your spirit. The way in which you see the world is a result of the condition of your spirit. Whether or not you are wise and make wise decisions and make wise choices is not determined by your IQ or your intelligence level. It's it's a, a direct result of your spirit and the state of your spirit. Sherry's going to put a couple of verses up on the screen for us. From Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. 
Now, last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that the Messiah came, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And we looked at some of the some of the things that we don't talk about very often about what it means. What's the um, what does his birth really mean? Who was he? Is God become God coming to us in human form? He is the creator of the universe coming into this world as, as we are, as a human being. He is the author of life. Therefore, his government is takes precedence over every other form of government. Here are the words from Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government is the authority of the right to rule, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the next verse. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the idea we were looking at last week was that we do not have a right to make our own determinations as it infringes upon his government. If we say, well, we have the right to decide our own moral code of ethics, we really do not have that right. We're not at liberty to do that. We've been given space to do those kinds of things, but we really don't have the right to do that where it conflicts with his government. Imagine with me this morning that you come from England and you come to the province of Ontario. You are accustomed to driving a motor vehicle in England and you are accustomed to the rules of, of the road there and you come to the province of Ontario and you say to yourself, well, you know what? I prefer the rules of the road in England. And I know I'm in the province of Ontario, but I'm just going to take to myself the right to drive as I have always done so in England. So you can do that. You can do that. You can make that choice. But what's going to happen? You're going to have to bear the consequences of the choice that you make. And if you're driving on the wrong side of the road in Ontario, then what is likely to occur? The point is, People from England do not have the right to make their own decisions in terms of how they drive in the province of Ontario, nor do the residents of Ontario have the right when they go to England to drive as if they were back on St. Joseph Island. You just don't have that right. It would be illogical and unreasonable to do so. wouldn't even think of doing such a thing. My point is we do not have the right in God's kingdom, God's government, to make our own decisions as if we were a self governing entity because we are not. We're under his rule. We're under his authority. And so I want to this morning to say to you that the uh, part of us that agrees with the kingdom of God and makes decisions that are consonant with God's kingdom is our spirit in our heart where the law of God is intended to reside. And it's very important to guard it and to keep it secure safe. 
Could I take you back to the Old Testament era? Could I go back with you to Exodus, the book of Exodus? I'm uh, not going to read from it, but I just want to refer to it, make reference to it. And when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt and were delivered from bondage. And the hand of God was revealed to them in marvelous ways. <coughs> color of cloud, presence of God in a visible manner. The color of cloud would lead them through the day. A color of fire would lead them night. These are manifestations of the presence of God. And they went through a very difficult uh, situation in the, in the desert, and they went through the wilderness. And the reason that they were brought out of Egypt was to deliver them from bondage and to bring them to the promised land. But when they came into adversity in the wilderness, one of the things that they began to do, and you can tell me what it is, is as soon as they were faced with adversity and hardship, and it was like a spiritual journey, spiritual warfare, and they began to murmur and they began to complain. And without ceasing, they murmured and they complained. We do not have bread to eat. We do not have flesh to eat. We had those things to eat back in Egypt. We are thirsty. We do not have water to drink. So God would miraculously provide for them both bread and water. But they would murmur and they would complain. And the idea was that they were intended to go through the wilderness and enter into the promised land by faith. In order for them to enter into God's promises or the promised land, they had to have faith and confidence in God, regardless of what the circumstances would be. And the wilderness was the training ground to see if they would have faith or not, to test their hearts. You see, you are on that journey. And I am on that journey. We will not enter into God's presence, finally and at the end, unless we have the faith in our hearts and trust in Him to do so. The great entrance into heaven at the end will be an act of complete faith and trust in God and His provisions, regardless of circumstances. And so it came to be that they were unqualified or disqualified themselves, and it was necessary for them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They did not enter in, but their children did. And so murmuring and complaining is the great enemy of faith can I suggest this morning in our journey as we talk about guarding our heart is that we are very careful about the murmuring and the complaining that we might be tempted to do. You tend to complain. You tend to murmur. You tend to find fault with things. You tend to blame circumstances and other people for things in your life. You find yourself in a downcast. As if there is a dark cloud that hangs over your life. This is the very antithesis of faith and confidence and trust in God. One of the greatest sins that a human being could make is the sin of murmuring and complaining against the circumstances that God allows us to experience in our pilgrimage 
because it's not the circumstance of the moment, it's where we're going. It's where we've come from, and it's where we're going. And God is building faith in us, confidence and trust in Him. And He can't build faith and trust and confidence in us unless sometimes the circumstances are very, very difficult that we have to deal with. We will disqualify ourselves, and we will find ourselves coming to the borders of God's promises time and time again, but never really being able to enter into the fullness of the promises of God. Because we don't have the faith, the trust, the reliance on God to do so. So we guard our heart. Guard your heart above all the things that you guard. Guard your heart, because we are in a, a world that... Uh, it's a world of spiritual warfare. And this God of this world and the spirit of this age will seek to distort and pervert and enter into your very core of your being or your heart and disqualify you and actually uh, corrupt the very place that is intended to be a temple of God's dwelling, a place where he resides in your spirit. And one of the ways that the spirit of this age and the God of this world enters inside of you and begins to manifest from the inside of you, corrupting you, is by bringing temptation to you that you yield to. Or the ways that we yield to temptation that really decides and determines whether or not um, our heart is corrupted is what we say, how we talk. See, when we're saved and come into our right relationship with Jesus, we believe in our heart, and there's some other, there's another part. You know what it is? We, Calvin knows what it is. Calvin always has the answers. Well, he does. More often than not. You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. So somebody said, Well, I just believe in my heart. I'm a secret Christian. I just believe in my heart. God knows my heart. And that's all that's really important. It's not all that is important because the scripture teaches us that really uh, until the confession is made with the mouth, the salvation work has not really been completed in us. It has not been confirmed by us. Now the very opposite of that, the reverse of that, the way in which the God of this present darkness or the spirit of this age invades into the interior life of the human being is by bringing adversity, bringing temptation across the path and every person experiences it. But it is what we do with it, it's how we process it, and finally it's what we say the words of our mouth. And this complaining, and this murmuring, and this complaining, and this gossiping fault-finding, misunderstanding what people's motivations are and purposes are. This is uh, a death knell. I'm using my words very carefully. This is a death knell to the spirit life, spiritual life. It destroys peace and tranquility and harmony and peace with God. And it exposes us to a spiritual corruption. And it is confirmed by the words that we speak what comes out of our mouth. Jesus said that when he said that out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks, or the human being speaks. He speaks forth what his heart is full of. We're getting ready to leave. We're getting ready to leave. We're getting ready to leave this place. We're getting ready to leave the island. We're getting ready to leave 2013. Guard your heart above all the things that you treasure and guard and protect. Guard your heart, your spirit. I want to ask you to open with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. In the 11th chapter of Luke, we read in verse number 14 that Jesus was engaged or he was involved in casting out demons. But I want to bring you uh, over to verse number 24 where I'd like to read. Now, I want to just pause for a moment before I read this. I'd like to say that this is a very solemn, solemn, solemn warning. Um, I feel the need to process this and to share this with you this morning very cautiously, very carefully, very reverently in the fear of God. Not with any judgmental attitude towards anyone. But these are things that must be taught, that must be shared, that must be spoken. A lot of us have had a very privileged life when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God. A lot of you have been exposed to good Bible teaching. You have been raised in Christian families. You have been exposed to some wonderful teaching in your life and experiences with God. If, that's, if that applies to you, then I say to you this morning in the name of the Lord, be especially diligent in guarding your heart. Guard your heart even more if you have been exposed to the wonderful things of God. If you've ever felt His presence in your life, if, he's, if He ever has come and delivered you from something nasty that you have experienced, if you've ever had the experience of Him coming to you and delivering you from, from anything, and giving you a freedom in himself, then guard your heart, because I want to read these verses. Jesus said, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. The spirit goes out, this unclean, filthy, evil spirit, that Jesus would cast out of people and he goes through these in the spiritual realm he goes through dry desert places seeking rest and finding none he says that is the spirit says to himself I will return to my house from which I came I will go back to the individual that I was evicted from
children of Israel, even though they had been delivered from Egypt, slavery and bondage in Egypt, they came to a place where they actually desired within their hearts to go back to that place. And that evil desire within them to go back to the place that God had delivered them from brought within them this murmuring and this complaining. You see, murmuring and complaining doesn't just come from no place at all. It has an origin. And the origin of it is evil. So this evil spirit Jesus is talking about says, I will return to my house from which it came, from which I came. There will be an evil intention, an evil plan formed against you. If you've ever had any revelation of God's truth to you, if you've ever been delivered in your life from anything that uh, is satanic or evil in your life, delivered from an evil mind, delivered from an evil temper, delivered from rage and anger, Delivered from an addiction to sin. Delivered from a deviancy to sin. Then there will be a, an attempt and an effort of the evil one, because this is the way he works. And Jesus said so. To come back and to re-enter into your life and to, to defile you again, if possible. This is the reason Solomon said, guard your heart above all the things that you guard and treasure, because from it are the very flow of the very issues of life. Guard it, because that's the place. Now Jesus went on to say, when the evil spirit comes and he finds it swept and clean and put in order, in other words, the life of the individual has been put into a proper order. The evil spirit comes back to it, and then the next verse says that then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Have you ever noticed that anyone who has uh, anyone who has been delivered from anything evil who goes back into it again? is always much more deeply uh, involved in that particular evil than they were before. Have you ever noticed that principle then? Um, that's just a principle. It works that way in the spiritual realm. And so Jesus said that the last state of the person who has been re-entered, redefined, is worse than his state was in the beginning. Now, does the adversary have an unlimited right? Does he have access to go back and re-enter at will? The answer to that is no. But he will re-enter if he is given the opportunity, and if he's given the right to re-enter, he will do so. And this is the reason, again, why we must, you know, I'm going to say, guard our hearts above everything that you guard. Guard your heart. How can you tell if your heart or your spirit is in good condition? Could I ask you that? How can you, if you were to say to you today, is my spirit in good standing before God? 
It's a good question. Here's an answer I would give you. This is not the only answer, but this is one answer. If your speech, if your language, if your communication is clean and right, and if you're not a complainer, and you're not murmuring and complaining, if you're not always misunderstanding, and if you are not quick to make accusation against other people, then I'd say it's a good indication that your heart is working for God. What is our speech like? I'm going to go back to Proverbs chapter 4 with you, and I'd like to read the entire uh, chapter from the New American Standard Bible, and then I want to close this morning with an example of something that, uh, a story from the past. Please listen carefully or read along with me in your Bible, whatever you prefer to do. Remember, written by Solomon. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. And give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. And she will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Guard her. She is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. <coughs> For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, I had also had my daughter, but it says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. This is how you guard your heart. This is how you guard your heart. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep what in the midst of your heart? 
Solomon says, my sayings, my words, I would say the word of God. Keep it in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Now here's our text for the morning. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, put away from you a deceitful mouth. And put devious speech, we talked about that today, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. There are a few more verses, a few more words to this chapter, but let me just say this. Now, I live on St. Joseph Island. I live in the garden of Alabama. This has been known as God's country for a long time, especially by those who are native to this area. We kind of are partial and, and, and preferential to what they even sometimes those who come from a distance will come and they will agree tend to agree with them and say, you know what? All that bragging you did about St. Joseph Island, I, I, I really can't accuse you of overdoing it because this is a splendid, splendid place. We began to feel it as we came to the bridge. And as we came to the bridge, it was as if we were leaving the rest behind and entering into this island. Self-contained. It's a unique place. People will say things like that. Even though I live here on this uh, on this island now, I haven't always lived here, and I've been a few places here and there. Um, I know that one of the darkest places to be today. I don't say this to depress you, because I've already indicated that we not be subject to depression. I don't say it to depress you, but I just say it because I know it to be true. The darkest places today to reside is in institutions of higher education, colleges, universities, places of that type. Some of you are there. A lot of you are there. Some of you will be going there. Some of you, as you leave, you're going back there. Are you saying that we shouldn't go back there? I'm not telling you what you should do with your life in that regard. I'm saying that's one of the darkest spiritual places that you will find. You know that is true. Therefore, I'm saying to you this morning, in the name of the Lord, to guard, keep, precious your heart. Now, you can go there, and you can do a lot of good there. Or you can go there, and you can be victimized there. It all depends on the way you respond from your heart to everything that you that you meet and face. I found myself a number of years ago in similar circumstances. This is what I found. I found that it was impossible for me to be part of the social fabric of such a place. It was impossible for me to be part of the social fabric of such a place. That is to laugh at the jokes to be one of the guys to you know move into the social fabric of the institution and to be part of it was impossible for me as a Christian 
before I was a Christian, I led the iniquity. I led the evil talk. But when I committed my life to Jesus Christ, my life was not my own. I didn't want it to be my own. And I was different. So I was not part of the social fabric. When everybody went into the bar or the beverage room, sometimes I would go in and have my Coca-Cola. Subject of my conversation with them was not the kind of conversation that they normally would be engaged in. It, I could not become part of the social fabric, and neither can you without damaging your spirit. Don't let that happen to you. Doesn't have to happen to you. Shouldn't happen to you. Christ died to deliver you from that. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Stand up for who you are in Christ Jesus. But be wise. Be wise in the way you project your faith in Christ. Don't be shy. Just be wise. Don't try to impose yourself on other people. Don't be shy about who you are in Christ Jesus. And do not become part of that social fabric because that social fabric is darkness. Here's the other thing I found. Although I was not part of the social fabric, I found that I was respected. Inordinately so. I was respected more there than I am here. That's not a complaint. That's a statement of fact. You say, how could that be? That's the way it works. See, as a believer, some of your adversaries will be other believers. You go out into the world and communicate the cause of Christ and live for Him, put Him first in everything you say and do, keep your spirit clean, guard your heart above everything that you do. Then you will stand, without even trying, you will stand as a light in a dark place. And the darker the place, the brighter your light will be. You know that? started off by saying those are some of the darkest places. Saying maybe he thinks we shouldn't be there. I didn't say you should be there. I want to see you kept safe there. If that's where you have chosen to be. Those are your choices to make. Not mine to make for you. I wouldn't think of telling you what you should do. What I will do is tell you what the dangers are. The darker the place is, the brighter your light will shine you will find that people will test you in all kinds of different ways to try to see if you're real or not. Sometimes the testing will be by way of temptations brought before you to stumble you. I know, I know the way this works. Just wake up every morning and say, Lord, this is a brand new day. I dedicate this day to you. Guard me and keep me and protect me in all my ways. Give me wisdom, O oh Lord, that comes only from you. You'll find that the sweetest communion you'll ever have with Christ Jesus is when you're in times of adversity and darkness all around. Oh, it's a wonderful place to be. Some of my greatest experiences in spiritual things were in places like that.
Now I just have a couple more verses. 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. That means don't allow yourself to be distracted, diverted. Don't let it happen to you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. This is what we have been discussing together. I said I wanted to share something with you in closing before Ruth comes. I think uh, probably, well, I know. I was 13 years old when my parents decided that you know, they just couldn't make a living on St. Joseph Island. And my dad was faced with the uh, decision that he would either have to go more deeply into farming and invest significant amounts of money in farming, or he had to leave the farm. And he decided he did not want to go into debt or that kind of thing, and so he decided to leave the farm and he became a mail carrier, a letter carrier in Sault Ste. Marie. So when I was 13 years old, we moved to Sault Ste. Marie. We lived at 314 Wellington Street East. Oh, excuse me, 314 Queen Street East. Right above the Hub Cigar Store, bowling alley, barbershop over here, Hub Cigar Store down here. What a culture shock. To be taken out of the vegetable gardens and chicken coops and all of St. Joseph Island and to be trans. Right into the downtown of Susie. Then we lived on Wilson Street, 300 Wilson Street. Then we lived for a while on uh, Woodward Avenue. This is what I want to tell you. I don't want to tell you where we lived in Susie. I want to tell you this. In each of those places, there came a time for us to leave them, to go to another place. It's time to leave. That's what we're talking about today, isn't it? It's time to leave. So it became time to leave, and my mother, being the great organizer that she always was, she not only had time to organize her own affairs, but she had plenty of time left over to organize our affairs, too. I wish she was here to help us organize them now. If my mother ever had gone into business, she would have been good at it. But it came time for us to leave. So in leaving, we had to carry out all the furniture and so on, and, uh, and we would carry the furniture down the stairs or out the door, and we would take it into the vehicle, and we'd be in and out and in and out. And what's happening to the floors? the place that we're about to leave is that they're being things are being tracked in so on so on so mom had this mom had this way she would put all of our footwear at the final when we came time to leave take all of our shoes and things like that set them outside the door she'd say no everybody out and she would sweep her way from the far corners and scrub her way from the far corners of the apartment or the house and she would just work her way that way towards the door. 
until finally, at the very end, with scrub pail, broom, mop, shoes parked outside the door, she'd say, we'll leave this place better than we found it. And on her knees, I see her right now, on her knees, hands and knees, she would scrub behind her the floor. Over here, over here, over here, ever diminishing little semicircles like that, right to the very door, finally the last few motions of scrubbing, the mop into the pail, the door closed, the idea was uh, we're, we're leaving and we're going to leave it clean for the next person to come. I'd like to say that as you leave, as we leave, as we leave 2013, as you leave to go back to school or work or wherever it might be, home, can we agree together on an individual basis and say within ourselves, Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, as I leave this place today, may I leave it clean on the inside of me. Not just things clean out here, but on the inside of me. May they be clean. May it be clean. May my mind be clean. My thoughts be clean. My motives be clean. My dedication to Jesus Christ be clean and pure and undefiled as we leave 2015. Maybe leave it clean. I'll see you in 2014. God bless you.